0: We've been uh, plodding along, working our way slowly through the uh, first letter to the Corinthians. So turn there, please, now to chapter 4. It's page 953 if you need to use the Pew Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are nearing the end of the kind of first main uh, issue that Paul deals with in this um, epistle, which is uh, the divisions in the church, and those divisions have been occasioned by uh, infighting over um, which team the the uh, church members are on are they like team Apollos, team Paul, team Cephas, team Jesus? Uh, that's been causing divisions. Uh, we'll finish up with that, Lord willing, next sermon, and then we move into the next big issue, and that has to do with uh, sexual immorality in the church, which was rampant uh, in. Uh, In uh, Corinth, and then there's issues with idolatry, the abuse of the Lord's Supper, uh, the misunderstanding of spiritual gifts, uh, and and even theological issues like the resurrection of the dead. There's a lot in this epistle still for us to unpack, and uh, tonight we hear it in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God. This is how one should regard us. "...as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore... Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men, sentenced to death. Because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Paul is continuing on the theme of leadership in the church uh, at Corinth. The Corinthians thought themselves to be a superior church and therefore worthy of or deserving of superior leaders in the church, superior ministers, and apparently for some, uh, Paul wasn't up, up to snuff. Paul addresses some of that criticism here, the, the way they think of him. He's going to say, it doesn't really matter what you think, you're not the... Okay, it kind of sounds infantile, right? We say, you're not the boss of me. Here, Paul's saying, you're not the judge of me. But it's uh, deeply uh, theological what he's saying. He's reminding us that God is the one who makes the ultimate evaluation of all people, including ministers and their ministries. Um, and in the text before us tonight, I want us to consider a comparison that Paul is making between himself and he, he brings the other apostles along with him. and So it's a comparison between the apostles and between the Corinthians, a comparison between true ministers and people who are meant to be true believers. God's ministers, we're going to see first, are put forth as being both servants and stewards. God's ministers are servants and stewards. But then in comparison and contrast, the Corinthians are privileged and proud. We have servants and stewards, and we have those who are privileged and proud. It's a sad contrast, but Paul says he's doing this here to be instructive. It's an instructive contrast, instructive not just for the Corinthians, but for us too, because it's showing us uh, and teaching us in the way of humility and service, which is what God is after from all of us. So first consider what Paul says about ministers, that ministers of God are both servants and stewards. This is verse 1, so let's look at verse 1. So apparently the Corinthians have had the wrong view of, of Paul and Apollos, um, they, they have been um, harping on them too much. They've been putting too much um, uh, pressure on them, so to speak, in terms of uh, their spiritual status. They tied that to the minister that they followed. So they had this skewed view of, um, of apostles. And if they had the wrong view of them, what's the correct one? Here it is. This is how one should regard us. Not the way you have been regarding us, but this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, interestingly, these are seemingly paradoxical terms, to be a servant and to be a steward. Um, this, the word for servant is actually not the normal word for servant that, that occurs in the Bible over and over again. It's where we get our word for deacon. Deacon means servant. But this is a different word, and it's a word that actually comes from uh, the, the nautical world, and it means an under rower uh, or an under oarsman um, somebody uh, who worked in the the stinkiest part of the ship underneath everybody else unnoticed by others Uh, and then that word then was used uh, later of domestic workers uh, referred to service of the uh, lowliest kind it's surprising. Is it surprising that, that Paul would use such a term to describe what service and ministry was like? Just consider what he's going to say in a few verses. Let's look at uh, what he says in verse uh, 9. I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as though we're men sentenced to death. We're a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men, to everybody. We are fools for Christ's sake. 11, uh, verse 11, to the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. He's saying, we, you know, he's... he's um, uh, a bivocational. I, I my 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 work as a as a minister isn 't even uh, sufficient enough to help me uh, meet uh, make ends meet so I labor and work with my own hands and he goes on to say We're reviled persecuted slandered so is it surprising to see then that Paul would describe uh, his apostolic status as that of a, of a lowly servant. So, what's the issue here? The issue is that the Corinthians are treating the apostles like celebrities. They would wear their jersey, right, if they had one. That's, that's what it's like. They would come in with a jersey that said Apollos on the back uh, if they could. Uh, but Paul is saying, uh, no, we're just lowly servants. In fact, we're underneath all the other servants, we're in the bottom of the boat. And on top of that, we're not well fed we're not well-housed, we're not even well-dressed. It's a far cry from certain people in ministry today in certain um, circles of the Christian world. Jesse Duplantis has a private jet jet worth $54 million. Joel Osteen has a house worth $11 million. There's an Instagram page that was quite popular, uh, over 345,000 followers, and the Instagram page is called Preachers and Sneakers. And uh, what the administrator of this page would do is take a screenshot from a live stream of uh, a celebrity pastor, would zoom in on their sneakers, and then find them online and would tell you they bought these sneakers for, and it's usually $5,000, $6,000. Or they bought this jacket that they're wearing for $2,500. And what does Paul say? We're poorly dressed. We're poorly dressed. Uh, Paul says, uh, we don't want anything to get in the way of the message. That's Paul's main concern. Uh, of course, let's not miss the dignifying claim that Paul makes. They are not just under rowers. They're not just underlings. They're not just servants. What does he say? We are servants of Christ. Anything, even the most menial of tasks, when done for the sake of Christ, suddenly takes on the most dignified Status, the most noble status, when it's done for Christ. G.K. Chesterton has a clever, funny little uh, poem uh, called "The Donkey," wherein a donkey is is the one um, who is uh, speaking uh, from the uh, its first person from the donkey's perspective, and in the poem, the donkey is owning that that he's a weird looking animal. Uh, He he says, I I recognize I'm the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things. But then the last stanza, there's four stanzas. The last stanza has a twist where the donkey says, but I, I have had one great moment. He says, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms beneath my feet. You see, the donkey recognized that that moment where I got to be a donkey for Jesus, where I got to be a beast of burden for Jesus. When he's the burden, it's not a burden at all, but it's it's a blessing. To be a servant of Christ isn't anything that's lowly at all. Uh, It would go well for us the sooner we learn the lesson too. The most exalted position that you can occupy in this life is at the feet of Jesus. The most exalted position you can occupy in this life is at the feet of Jesus. It is better to be a fool for Christ's sake. That's what Paul says, right? We are fools for Christ's sake. We are, we're despised by the world. We're a spectacle to others. But it, be, it is better to be a fool for Christ's sake than to be king of all and not have the Savior. There's another dignity given to the apostles in that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. Here's where the paradox comes in. They are... These servants, but then they're also stewards. A steward was someone charged with running a house. So Paul says, on the one hand, we are these these under-rowers, but in the next breath, he says, we're stewards, we're the managers. And what do they manage exactly? Uh, The gospel, that's almost always what Paul means when he talks about, um, uses the term mystery. Uh, Could there be any charge more precious and privileged than a faithful stewarding of the message of salvation? Verse two: What does he say? It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So true enough, the apostles had a high um, standard to meet; they had to be faithful in their calling. But that faithfulness is determined not by the Corinthians, not by the Corinthians, not by the people sitting in the pew at Corinth, but by not even an elder board, nothing like that, not by a presbytery or classes, but by the Lord Himself. It is the Lord who judges me, Paul says. And so, the Corinthian church is being told here, on the one hand, don't condemn us, but also don't, you know, freak out about us. Don't eulogize us. Don't think we're all that. Leave that to the Lord. Verse 5, don't pronounce judgment before the time. You think you know, you know, um, who has it made and who doesn't, but wait until the Lord comes. Then each one will receive commendation from God. Uh, Paul says he's not even going to judge himself. Did you notice that in verse 4? I'm not aware of anything, or that's the end of verse 3. In fact, I do not even judge myself. But then he says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. That's a good line for us all uh, to keep in mind. It is our calling to keep our conduct pure, to live above reproach, and to strive to have a clean conscience. But a clean conscience does not keep you out of hell. A clean conscience does not get you into heaven. The blood of Jesus does that. And that's why Paul says, look, I, I believe I have served faithfully at Corinth and, and my ministry has been a faithful ministry. But that doesn't mean I'm acquitted before the Lord. No, we, 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 we plead the mercies of God for the acquittal that we all need. Paul is not going to bank on his performance as a minister as the grounds for his standing before God, nor do we ever, should we ever bank on our good works, our charity, no matter what it is, as a grounds for passing God's judgment. We bank on his mercy for that, only his mercy. But all in all here, in these first few verses, Paul is painting, uh, the way that Paul paints the apostles is this, they have been given much. They've been given a, a... a job to do, a service to render, but it's it's a dignified service. They're stewards of the mysteries of God. They've been given much, but they don't act like they've been given all that much. They don't they don't act like they're all that, right? Even though they have this extremely um, privileged role, they have been given the greatest thing in the world. Really, if you think about it, the responsibility to share the good news. So they've been given the greatest thing in the world, but they don't act like they themselves are the greatest thing in the world. So that's the apostles. Now as we move into verse 6 and following, we see how Paul starts to make the comparison between true ministers and how they live out the gospel and, and how the Corinthians are living it out. Uh, There was meant to be a correlation, by the way. Paul's going to go on and say a few times in this epistle that he wants people to imitate him. He's an example to them. He kind of says that here in verse 6. He says, "Um, I have applied everything that I'm saying to myself and Apollos. I've used us as examples for your benefit, that you would learn from us. I want you to look at our lives and learn from us. And he says, to not go beyond what is written, to not make judgments that, that the scriptures do not call you to make. And that you would not become boastful. That none of you would be puffed up in favor one against another. Um, so here we see that the Corinthians are almost acting the exact opposite as the apostles. Right? The apostles are these servant stewards who've been given much, but they don't act like they're all that. Uh, and here the Corinthians have been given everything. And they act like they are everything. Uh, they're privileged and proud. That's the second thing. that they're privileged and proud. They are puffed up one against another. But Paul wants to know why they are puffed up and why they're acting like they're better than others. Verse 7 in the SV, for who sees anything different in you? I think the NIV is a little bit more helpful. What makes you different from anyone else? Or the JLC translation, what makes you so special? Who do you think you are? What's going on with you, Corinthians? You, you're not any better than anybody else because you've all, just like you all, Corinthians, just like every other Christian, have received everything as a gift. What makes you so special? He's sarcastically inviting them to give him a reasoned defense for their boasting. Uh, but, but his lying can only silence them. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you act as though you have not received it? And so here's the ridiculousness. Um, The incongruity of a proud and arrogant and boastful Christian. There is not one thing in life that has come to you that has not come from the hand of God. Not a single thing. And even those things that you have accomplished, that you have earned, that you have worked hard for, the diploma, that promotion, whatever it is, even those things, the only reason you have accomplished them and have been successful is because the Lord's grace has sustained you every step of the way. There is not one sphere of your life where you can say, I did this. God wasn't involved in this. No, this is ridiculous for a Christian to think it, it's, it's all from me. That's what Paul is saying. How can you act as though you did not receive this? It's just a gift. It's a gift from God. And Paul continues his ironic, sarcastic rebuke in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. He's saying, you guys think you're pretty great. You think you have all the spiritual gifting that you'd ever need. In fact, you haven't even gotten it from the apostles. You're fighting about the apostles, but apparently you got what you needed without us. The Corinthians, they are full, but not of God, but of self-glory. Uh, They are rich, uh, but not in spiritual things, but in self-esteem. They have crowned themselves kings. Of course, you know, theologically, we will be kings one day. We will reign with him. We'll reign with Christ. We'll be co-heirs with him. We'll be kings and priests in the new heavens, in the new earth. Has that happened yet? No, right? What's a really important theological distinction we want to keep in mind? The already and the not yet. And the Corinthians have flipped that. What does Paul say? Already. You have become kings. Already you've become kings. They have taken a not yet reality and they've tied that into their um, already way of living. And that's a recipe for disaster. In this case, it's a recipe for pride. And Paul says kind of sarcastically, you know, I I wish you were right. I wish you were kings. Then maybe we could get a break. Maybe we wouldn't be so reviled if the, the King Corinthians would come to our aid. We would rather that you would reign, because inst- we, we would rather reign with you, but instead we've been made a spectacle. And then he gives this final long list of comparisons between the apostles and the Corinthians. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. That's sarcasm. We are weak, but you apparently are strong. You are held by yourselves in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat people. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What a note to end on. The apostles are the scum of the earth. Um, Bryce and I were working on the carpet in my office this past week, and he said, um, I'm going to become a sermon illustration, aren't I? And, Bryce, I tell you, I just thought of it two seconds ago. Um, Getting the glue off of that carpet, I don't know if you've ever tried to get glue off of concrete before, but um, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. And uh, yesterday, so, I mean, that took hours and hours, and the carpet's in, and and we can all thank Bryce for that. Um, But yesterday, I spent about 20 minutes getting glue off of the soles of my shoes, we're walking in that for hours, and it just keeps sticking. We tried to put bags over our shoes, but then the glue ripped the bags apart, and so we just, okay, I guess we're just going with the shoes now. But I didn't want to throw away these sneakers. I still need this pair of sneakers. So I had a, a flathead screwdriver, and I'm just chipping away at probably three inches of dried glue, gunk, on the bottom of my sole. Paul says, that's the apostles. We're the scum of the world. We're that stuff that's on the bottom of the shoe that you'd probably rather throw away. And if you were on preachers and sneakers, you would throw it away. But as it is, you need to keep this pair. So there I am, getting rid of this this gross, yucky stuff. And Paul says, that's the apostles, the gross, yucky stuff. What what an evaluation to make. And yet, on the other hand, the Corinthians, they're the kings of the world. So the apostles are scum, and the Corinthians are royalty. What are you? What are we? Where do we we put ourselves there? Do we see ourselves as servants, or do we see ourselves as superiors? Martin Luther had a very famous way of describing this discrepancy in the Christian life that the Corinthians were exhibiting. Uh, He called it living by a theology of glory. Maybe you've heard that before, a theology of glory. And according to Luther, theology of glory... uh, Emphasizes human achievement, success, and power in the here and now. And that's what Luther saw in the Roman Catholic Church as he looked around um, and saw the extravagance of the, the cathedrals and the palaces and the whole almsgiving system. Um, he saw that they're, they're living for the here and now. They're all about attaining glory now. Uh, and he thought that was antithetical to the gospel. Instead, he said, we're called to live according to a theology of the cross. So those are the two uh, competing theologies. A theology of glory, on the one hand, or a theology of the cross, where he says we should operate according to the principles of humility that were preeminently displayed on the cross when God himself took on flesh and hung there naked before a watching world, where, where God himself became the scum of the world. And the refuse of all things. A theology of glory or a theology of the cross. The Corinthians are living by the theology of glory. Paul is calling them, and he's calling you and me, to live according to a theology of the cross. Why does it matter? In conclusion, let me give you three brief reasons why it matters. That we exhibit this um, lifestyle that's born out of a theology of the cross. It matters first for our worship. If we don't build our theology off of the revelation of God as incarnate and hanging on a cross for our sins, we will worship a God of our own design. Uh, A God of our own design is usually just um, someone that's just bigger and better than us, sort of like a superhero version of us, but that's not God. To worship a bigger, better version of ourselves is not God. God is so much bigger and better than us that he often does things that we think are beneath us. Think about that for a second. He's so much greater than us that he does things that we think are beneath us. He does things that we think are below us. It's an upside-down theology. But the New Testament says the way you glory in God, and Paul says this in Galatians, is to glory in the cross, to glory in the cross. God was lifted highest at the lowest point. He was lifted highest at the lowest point and if you don't get that then you're not going to worship the right god or you won't worship god in the right ways as luther said god can only be found in suffering and in the cross so we need to have this humility for our worship secondly it matters for our walk that is for our christian life our relationship with the lord and And with others, uh, our sanctification, this matters. If we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to see him for who he is. And he is one who took on the form of a servant, a lowly servant. And what does he say uh, to us who are his followers? His servant's not greater than, than his master. And our master took the form of a servant. So that's where we are, too. If we want to grow to be like Jesus, it's not going to come by pursuing success and fame, and gifting. That's what the Corinthians were all about, people's gifting. But you remember that line from Robert Murray McShane, it's not great talents that God blesses as much as likeness to Christ. That's what God blesses. Not so much great talents as great likeness to Jesus. So we won't be conformed to Christ if our lives are not shaped by the cross. Ease and comfort do not describe Christ's likeness as much as Paul's terms of refuse and scum and being reviled and slandered and persecuted. Sanctification must start in humility. I want to read you Matthew Henry's great insight at this point in 1 Corinthians, and as this applies to how we change our walk with the Lord. Listen to what he says. Those do not commonly know themselves best who think best of themselves. Let me say that again. Those do not commonly know themselves best who think best of themselves. So if you think you're, you're the greatest things in sliced bread, then you don't know yourself. The Corinthians might have reigned and the apostle with them if they had not been blown up with an imaginary royalty. Note, pride is a great prejudice to our improvement, to our sanctification. Pride will kill your sanctification. Now, here's the final line. He is stopped from growing wiser or better who thinks himself the height, not only full, but rich, nay, a king. How can you grow if you already think you've arrived? How can you grow if you think you're at the height? There's no more room, you would say. I've done it all. I've made it. And so, to have a theology of the cross matters for our walk, our sanctification. And finally, it's necessary for our witness. If we profess to be Christians. How can people come to know our our Christ if we live lives that are actually antithetical to his mission? It's not our jet. It is not our house. It's not our sneakers that show people Christ. It is our humility. It is our happy acceptance of the sufferings that come in this life, even our happy acceptance of the reviling that might come in this life, It's our happy acceptance of a station in life at the feet of others. Not other people at our feet, but us at the feet of others. It's our happy acceptance to be the butt of jokes, to be the scum of the world and the refuse of all things, even to be a fool. But remember, it's not just a fool, and it's not just a servant. It's a fool for Christ. It's a servant of Christ. Better to be a fool for Christ and the scum of the world than to be the king of all and not have the Savior. Let's pray. Father, would you impress these truths, they're hard truths, but important truths upon our hearts, uh, the importance of being humble, the importance of living for our Savior in a humble way and living for others in a way of service and sacrifice. Would we not be not so... Puffed up with a sense of ourselves that we think we corporately as a church are better than others or we individually are better than others in the church or in our lives. Would we recognize everything we've received is indeed a gift and therefore you must receive all of the glory. Would we be happy to follow in the steps of our Savior and happy to carry a cross with him. Lord, write your truth upon our hearts Would your spirit come to be the after preacher? And would we leave from this place and quickly forget anything that was said in error, anything that was not helpful? But would we never forget those spiritual truths which have come from you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.